I don't know how to start. And then I thought, gosh, how do parents tell their children that they're getting divorced? And then I was like... <laughs> Emma, that's too loaded for the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> I think people will read into that. I mean, more power to them. Though. Yeah. Yes. How do parents tell children they're getting divorced? I don't know. What did your parents tell you? My parents didn't get divorced. Oh, that's true. You just left one day with your mom and nothing was ever spoken of again. Um, things were spoken of. Well, this is just the episode where we leave ellipses. <laughs> We're not getting divorced. I think we should clear that up right out the gate. Well, it depends on what we, we are defining as we. All right. Well, yeah, we are breaking up with Storylogical in this incarnation. <laughs> <laughs> that is one way to look at it. Yes. Uh, as it is something that we made up between us. I don't know if we have to break up with it so much as leave it leave it behind leave it in its place it's not like we're even like putting it up for adoption because no one else is allowed to adopt it we're just quietly committing infanticide i think we envision storylogical differently <laughs> apparently you envision it as a child we have born which we will now leave to fend for itself <laughs> i in, think in of the it as a of piece London. of art that we have been working on and now perhaps we will hang on the wall. And like all art, it will be, in a sense, more beautiful simply for having uh, having existed in time as something that could change and now existing in time as something that can only be looked at differently as you, the viewer or listener, change. Right. It is only now to be observed, not to be participated in. We made Storylogical for three years. We discussed... I'm not exactly sure, maybe nearly 100 stories. Do you have favourites among the stories we discussed? Favourites among the stories? Yeah. Oh, Emma's asking me to pick favourites. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, favourite stories? I mean, some of them that are my favourite are my favourite from long ago, such as Pet Milk is a story that I find lasts in my heart. And perhaps... Uh, the fact that that story lasts into my heart has a lot to do why when you and I talked about perhaps thinking of Storylogical as an art project, something that we did for a long time and now we're going to do something else. Uh, I said we should record an episode where we think about saying goodbye and share that goodbye with people, uh, which really is an impulse of Pet Milk, which is a long series of goodbyes that ends in... A vanishing hello. Yeah, in a literal kind of waving. I know there was one particular story where I felt like I understood that I had changed. When we started season three and I picked Report on the Thing, Kara Spector's story, I really felt how my understanding and openness and appreciation of stories had developed over the years that we'd been doing it because I knew then that two three years ago I would never have picked that story as something that was exciting to me I would have found it bewildering but coming to that story when I did in Storylogical I was like I was not afraid of what it made of how it made me think about myself and my own processes in a way that Maybe before I would have been, I would have found it unsettling, unnerving, or just plain un 
ununderstandable. Do you think that it is that you changed and so the story was less bewildering? Or your experience of bewilderment changed? I'm going to go with a little bit of both. (laughs) Because I think in part, I had, you know, I, I think I've talked before on the mic about Storyological being a little bit of a kind of my MFA, right? I've never studied writing or literature. I gave it up as soon as possible at school. And so taking this time with you to really pull apart stories and understand the, their mechanics and working means that I am much more widely read than I was a few years ago. And therefore, I think, able to take on and understand a wider range of styles and approaches and structures and everything else but also inside of that process I have become more comfortable with the idea that it's fine if I don't get everything on the first read like that doesn't need to be what a story is it can it can be exciting on a sentence level and then require two or three reads to understand more about what the author is trying to convey I made a point of not looking back at all of our episodes and just let myself remember things. And all of the episodes I remember tend to be ones that we envisioned. Uh, The ones that I remember tend to be the ones where we did an episode where we talked about two Kelly Link stories or an episode where we talked about two Ted Chiang stories or an episode where we decided to take George Saunders and Alan Bennett and see what happens if we talk about those stories together. Or the episodes in between the seasons that we called holiday specials, where we would record us discussing a holiday movie that in general was not the most obvious choice, perhaps. The Home Alone. Home Alone might be the most Christmassy of our Christmas movies, and in Bruges, perhaps the best of our Christmas movies, or Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I think having such a great focus for those episodes made it feel very exciting to come and record and know and feel feel like it drew us in. Yeah, I think for me, it probably has more to do with the fact that I remember them. I think it is almost certain if I went back and listened to all the episodes, my favorite episodes would be those that we did a thing that, that I, I learned in the doing by doing story logical, which was the thing where in talking about stories, we would end up telling stories about our lives and not just having that kind of jubilance of understanding of the story unlocking something in itself, but unlocking something in us and sharing that with the people listening. Mm-hmm. The the way that the stories unlock stories inside of us and inside of each other as we talked. Those episodes are my favorite. But I cannot remember them, nor can I really look at the list of our episodes and be able to say, ah, that was the episode where we, for five minutes, talked about my sister or or talked about your dad. Those Mm. things aren't in the descriptions. They aren't in the titles, but they are actually my favorite episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the wonderful things to have come out of this project is getting an opportunity to, to dig at those things inside ourselves and each other and share them with other people through through the energy of the stories that we found uh, in a way that you know maybe without having that focus of other people's stories in a way that maybe I would never have thought about my own story yes yeah I don't understand how other people do it or if it's even possible I don't know how you can <laughs> understand yourself 
without doing it through the lens of something different than you. Yeah. When we talked that one Saturday, some time ago, uh, at that place that we go many Saturdays now to have coffee and to have various forms of breakfast. I always have a pancake. Pancakes are what I have on Saturday. This is a rule. Uh, one day that rule might change. Uh, my rules are written in stone that occasionally, uh, well, it's it's like a whiteboard, my stone. I think of it like an Etch-a-Sketch. Etch-a-Sketches. Wow. Delightful. I find it is difficult to write on them. Very difficult. <laughs> and then very easy to erase what has been written. Maybe that is a good metaphor for something. I don't know if it's the right metaphor for this. Really, the important thing was that when we talked, we talked about how in the first season of Story Logical, we made somewhere on the order of 345 episodes. <laughs> and in the second season, we thought, let's do half as many episodes. And we made somewhere around 135 episodes. <laughs> yeah. And in the third season, we thought we would continue to do the half amount of the first season, but we made more on the order of seven. Uh, <laughs> all of these numbers are accurate to some measurement. And how part of what we wanted to work out was why are we making less and less? Are we making less and less because our lives have become more full of anxiety or are our lives more full of anxiety because we were making less story logical episodes? <laughs> uh, or is the anxiety coming from the feeling that there's this thing that we've decided to do together that must be done and that in order to do it, there are these things we have to do and that that, uh, you can hear by the tone of my voice, I may have entered into the what I think is the correct answer, but I didn't realize it. Um, that that, anxiety that was to create something joyful meant that there was less energy to put into other things that maybe we needed to put that energy into in order to create a sustainable joy question mark <laughs> i am not a hundred percent sure that i followed every part of that question <laughs> i certainly i certainly know that the combination of going freelance and the trying to find stories that I loved to talk about became very hard. And the sense that if I didn't find a story in the time that we'd agreed that I was letting you down, that that began to take it, uh, that was hard. And because I, I am so reluctant to say anything negative about stories that I really had an incredibly high bar of like, a story, I have to love a story so much to want to talk about it that I set myself up into a really difficult cycle, I guess. You know, I might have to read 20 stories to find something that I felt like I could be unreservedly enthusiastic about. That's fascinating you said that. I've written in my notes, having the criterion of love is exhausting. <laughs> uh, and I think, though, that expression I wrote in my notebook is alighting what I actually felt which is i sometimes found it exhausting that i don't know i well 
maybe I found exhausting the the anxiety that you felt about finding something that you had to really love, but also sometimes the the sense of pressure sometimes to make sure if I had a critique of your story to wrap it in enough joy that it could be accepted. Uh, and that dynamic that you were uncomfortable with criticism and so you needed to find a story that passed a bar of love meant that there, sometimes there, it somehow added more pressure because if you brought something you loved so much that there was no room for criticism and then I criticized it maybe that compounded like on one hand you didn't want to let me down but then if you managed to bring something and I criticized it it was like is nothing good enough for you <laughs> yeah um yeah another thing what I meant when I wrote having the criterion of love is exhausting is that podcasts that we listen to sometimes dear Hank and John the podcast that Hank Green and John Green do the vlog brothers the now author brothers People write in letters, and presumably in those letters, which are asking questions, they are not expending energy trying to find the perfect question that they can talk about. And in the same way, many podcasts, many people that talk about culture are not, mm, they're not actively trying to read all that is old and new and pick something that they love. Either there's some system by which, for example, normal Critics who get paid, for the most part, just watch all the new movies and then think about them. They don't have to both think and curate at the same time. Yes. Uh, and other podcasts that are devoted to, say, I don't know, uh, The West Wing, they just talk about every single episode of The West Wing. So again, they're not, they're not having, they're not parsing the world every episode. Yeah. They parse the world at the beginning and then they go through it and they think about it. Right, right. I think that the in a way that we set it up, we've created a sense of decision fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, if we had set it up, like we just d- discuss every New Yorker story that comes out, even though there's probably, what, 50 stories that come out in a year, that still would have been less exhausting. Or that still would have been right. less overwhelming, I think. Yes, and uh, this is the kind of thing that when we say this project is is being hung on the wall. It doesn't mean there won't be other projects, other things that we do that may follow that kind of format, but we won't find that format without letting this end. Like yeah. another thing I put in my notes is one must put an end to things. <laughs> <laughs> one must put things down. Uh, yes. I think I talked to you about when I left uh, Mississippi after I did my MFA there was a feeling I could have stayed in Oxford for another year or two, Oxford, Mississippi. Um, mm. But I decided to go to Korea. And there's something about the need to be able, as we have thought about in terms of buying a house or in terms of, of our relationship, the need to be able to dream of things that you know are impossible, to let yourself imagine things that are impossible is important. But you also need to be able to imagine things that are inevitable. Mm-hmm. And so I could imagine... I'm not going to live in Mississippi for the rest of my life. So what if I just decide to leave now rather than wait and wait until something feels like it forces me to go? And we're not going to do this version of Story Logical for 20 years. <laughs> so what if we just decided to stop doing this version now? <laughs> right, and, and it, was a, it was a decision we came to 
through discussion. It wasn't immediately apparent to us that mm. it was the right decision to end it. We just found, as we were discussing what we wanted to do this season, we came upon the idea of, gosh, these decisions sound like the decisions of somebody who wants to stop something but is too afraid to say it. And we're like, oh, we should not be too afraid to say that. Yes, exactly. And you could see you know, in each other's eyes this spark, the actual spark of recognition that people <laughs> discuss. Actually, yeah. it is happening. And you can see it in the other person and you can feel it in yourself and understand what if we did other things. Uh, and I think it's not unusual that people end up imagining what they are doing is the thing they are doing because it makes them happy. And they have missed the point where the thing that they are doing is the thing they are doing because it is the thing that they have been doing. Exactly. Uh, and to be able to, uh, to be able in discussing to understand, oh, now it is the time to not do this thing means you can do the thing that will make you happy, which is why you started doing this first thing in the first place. Right. Uh, and if you always keep doing the things that make you happy three years ago, eventually you will not be happy anymore. <laughs> right. And also we don't get to take the th lessons that we've learned from this project and make better projects or more exciting projects or different projects. You right. know, it's not just about we don't have, we won't have the time or space if we don't stop this. It's about, I feel like we have learned a lot about collaborating with each other. It has been really rough sometimes and there have been other moments where it's been pure joy and you know I'm not sure we know how to make it all pure joy but I think we've learned a lot about the way the things that work well and the things that do not work well like like for instance you think much better on the fly when you're talking than me I really need to prepare and like I really fought that for some time. I really felt like I was inadequate for feeling like I had to really rigorously think through my notes and think through what I was going to say and even, you know, think in some ways about how I wanted to respond to you. But I kind of just gradually became comfortable with that and was like, okay, this is my process. It's absolutely fine. I have enjoyed finding my voice on Storylogical, finding a way to develop my own sentences and rhythms and cadence to describe my ideas in a way that I feel is interesting to me and interesting to other people. It, it is not something I was confident at doing or had practice at doing when we started. I remember when we first started recording, really stumbling and struggling to put together a kind of coherent paragraph, but that gradually over time I have learnt how to do it and how to give myself the time and space as I talk to think about what the next thing is I'm going to say what's the next thing and being being part of Storyological has coincided with me doing a huge amount of public speaking before we started this I'd only done like a couple of five minute talks and now I do talks at conferences and events about data visualization pretty much every month and it's been it's, it's essentially how my freelancing business has worked out is I speak at conferences and people hear me speak and then they hire me to do stuff. And I don't think without Storyological, I would have had the same kind of success at that. I wouldn't 
have felt so confident in my speaking. I wouldn't have felt so excited to do it. And I don't think that I would have been telling as interesting or as honest stories, right? I try and bring a lot of my vulnerable self to even to those kind of corporate business events. And I think it is quite often a different tone than what people are used to. And it makes it interesting for people. One of the things I thought is why when I wrote the newsletter in which I reviewed all of the things, did I feel happier than I had felt in a while? I enjoyed talking about stories. I enjoy the feeling of them unraveling. I enjoyed the experience of you finding your voice and that this has coincided not just with you uh, seeming to, to find in yourself a way of understanding stories, but to find in yourself a way to tell more and deeper stories about yourself in a ways that seem to have helped you become more of the different people that you might want to be. For me, my experience of Storylogical is not that because I have spent so long alone with stories and I have spent so much time writing about them that in many ways the voice was already there. I think what I found when I wrote my newsletter was the joy again of spending an inordinate amount of time alone with my friends that are stories and being able mm, and, and being able to not be limited at all by any format other than grammar <laughs> which Unless, even that yeah you're not strictly limited by grammar no no but i enjoy it i enjoy the confines of breaking it and there's no and we have broken story logical in interesting ways we added interviews we talked about things that weren't short stories we talked about things there weren't even fiction, sometimes accidentally, sometimes not accidentally. <laughs> um, but the amount of time for me that I spent in looking for stories and then writing up notes to talk about them with you, the, the things that I enjoyed, like I, I realized like from before, it's not the story for me of finding my voice of how to talk about stories. It was just finding those stories that in talking with you led us to have wonderfully interesting discussions about life and about understanding each other. And the stories were entirely inconsequential to me. Like, I really <laughs> love talking about it, but it was just a thing to think about. Uh, and, and that time meant that there wasn't as much time for me to be as alone with as many stories as I might like, because so much of my time was spent finding stories in order to talk to you, mm -hmm. not to find stories that spoke to me and then think about what they said to me. Even though, yes, I did that. Like in the podcast, I talk about why it mattered to me, but it was for you and it was for mm. the other you that is whoever you are listening right now, <laughs> um, which was wonderful. Uh, and so there is a thought of like, why not keep doing that since I like doing it? But it has a lot to do with where the time is spent and where aloneness is gathered. Because for me, I could interview people. This was a thing I found in Storylogical. It was one of my favorite things. I've interviewed people in the past, but not like I did on Storylogical. I could do that. But the amount of time I put into it is a lot. Mm -hmm. And the amount of time I put into reading stories to talk with you is a lot. 
and I love those things, but it is possible that writing is a more efficient way for me to be someone that I want to be, and that mm. means being alone. Yeah. Mm. I, I don't know. I see the joy you get from your aloneness, from, your, from spending time alone with stories. I also see the joy you get from deep connections to other people. And like you say, the, the interviews you've done for Storylogical have been, well, likewise for me, one of the beautiful discoveries of this process. Because unsurprising to anybody who knows you is you are an amazing interviewer. You are, you're deeply interested in connecting with people, deeply interested in understanding them, and perhaps less burdened than other people in feeling shy of asking too many questions or overreaching. And it has led to some very sweet, deep, you know, it has led to some very honest and revealing and interesting interviews and I hope that in whatever manner or as part of Storylogical or elsewhere there is space for you to do more things like that. Yes, that may be the result of what I said. I am always suspicious of myself <laughs> and the idea of aloneness may in fact be hiding the desire for more people. All of the reading that I did for Storylogical, like I was saying, for the most part is for you and for you. The you that is you, Emma, and the you that is you listening. The you that is you listening, I love you. I have no idea who you are, except, of course, for all the people I know. Hello, all of those people <laughs> that I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe that is what is behind the door that is unopened. What is behind the door that is unopened is that the time I spent reading to find the story to talk about with you was a lot of time. The time I spent gathering questions for the people I interviewed was a lot of time. But of course, there would be more time to do that if I wasn't finding the stories to talk about with you. Mm -hmm. And one of the truths of relationships, of friendships, was that a lot of what we love about each other is the things that the other person does that we find delight in. And sometimes there's an inclination to try to spend and try to do so many things with the other person that we lose sight of the kind of mysterious wonder of them. And I, and I love the way you describe my interviews. It feels like it contains that kind of wonder, like, look at that thing that you did. I love that. Uh, and one of the things I think we both found in that spark of talking about Storylogical was oh, what if we each have more time to do the things that the other person, our other person, will love? Mm. Like one of the questions I asked when you were talking about illustration is something like, well, if you didn't have Storylogical, if you weren't illustrating the interviews, what would you do with that time? Yeah, exactly. And I have maybe 10 to 15 different illustration projects that I want to be working on. And one or two of them are collaborations with you, uh, Others are 
independent comic books, others are stories, and like the idea of having that, taking what I've learned for doing Story Logical, which is, you know, having a specific deadline, working to a specific brief, even though I made that brief for myself, but being able to take those skills forward into other projects, I'm much more excited about than I am to redo those projects again and again. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I loved about doing Story Logical was hitting those deadlines, going for an episode a week for extended periods of time, and then the next year doing every weather week and uh, living up to those demands that we put on ourselves. And then this thing that feels beautiful to me is being able to recognize fairly quickly when we no longer want to live up to those demands and so need to make new demands. Mm. I feel like, Emma though you have no idea what VH1 is. Do you, though? I shouldn't assume. It's like MTV, right? Yes. It's, in fact, the tagline of that <laughs> network. VH1. VH1. Like MTV. It's kind of like, yes. VH1 famously had a documentary series called Behind the Music. And Behind the Music would tell the origin story of a band. It would tell of their rise to fame. It would tell of their, their falling or their decision to stop. And then it would always end with the part of, and then, you know, the what next, or mm. this is what happened after. Mm. So we love stories. <laughs> this must be the point in the episode where we discuss what happened next. And we don't have to talk about it in the past tense because yeah. it hasn't happened yet, but we could. <laughs> well, I think there are a handful of things that I could imagine. I could imagine a new podcast that happens where like we talked about the the emphasis or the the weight put on us in finding stories to discuss is less in some way because we pick some kind of structure that means it's essentially taken care of right which might be per season or it might be per duration of that podcast right, like storylogical exactly. colon insert filtering mechanism Right, there's a there's a, a podcast I've just started listening to which discusses every Tom Waits song ever in sequence, in chronological sequence. Right. You know, so things like that could work. Yeah. It could be that we invest in somebody to help us edit, because I know you dedicated a lot of time and did an amazing job on the editing. Yes, I quite enjoyed learning that I could do that and also how to do that. <laughs> So that now, if somebody asks, you've had experience editing audio. You're like, mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and some pretty janky audio, let's be honest. Well, um, it could be that we use a story logical name to do something else with short stories or stories mm -hmm. that we love. You know, maybe events, maybe small-scale publishing, a magazine. I don't know. Yeah. I'm kind of like, I... I mean, I'm excited about this space that we're creating for the for ideas to kind of bumble around and take root. Yes. There's nothing like death to make room for life. Yes. And I can imagine a version of Story Logical that also includes interviews. Uh, and I can imagine a version of Story Logical that is not anything. That Story Logical is is the name of a thing that we did and that when next people see our names on something hopefully it would be a book there is something uh wonderful about asynchronous collaboration that 
I feel like works very well, particularly for a couple, as you spend a lot of time in simultaneous collaboration. <laughs> Just existing next to each other. I know that for me, what is in the future is us creating more things. And that some of those will be together and some will not. And some will always have been this, which I know has brought a lot of joy to us. And I have been very happy to understand how much joy and sometimes comfort it has brought to the people that have listened. And a part of the sadness of stopping is to not be giving that to other people. But a part of what I tell myself is that's not the way stories work. Stories don't work on that this thing was comforting and then it went away and nothing ever took its place. If we are not doing this, we will be doing other things that will be giving joy to us, to each other, and hopefully to some of the people that are listening as well. I, well, I, I only had one thing left, really. Which is something like in order for there to be a new dawn, a new morning, we have to say good night. Thanks for listening. Happy reading. And good night. Slogan. <laughs> the slogan of America. There's not even any digital representation of what the money value, monetary value is. Like your mm, twenty. There is on your quarter doesn't paper say money. Twenty-five, does it? There oh. is entirely on paper money. Paper money has numbers on it. Also, I do not think most of our audience will understand digital to mean numerical. But oh, come on, that's that's literally what it means. It's using digits. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The fact that words literally mean things literally means nothing <laughs> as far as people's understanding of the meanings of the word. Uh, 